This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hello and welcome to the Christianese Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Fitzgerald. And before we get started today, I just want to plug the music from this episode a little bit. It's by an artist named Caroline Cobb, and she is letting me use the instrumentals from some of her music from her latest album, A Home and a Hunger, on this episode. I really think this is what Christian music should be. It's scriptural, it's well done, it's encouraging, it's challenging, it's correcting, it's inspirational, it connects you to doctrine and leads you to praise. It's incredible. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And I just want to take the opportunity to thank Caroline for trusting me with her music in this episode. All right, let's get on to episode number 12. Hello and welcome to the Christianese Podcast, the podcast where we try to speak and figure out what it means to live Christianly. Today's episode... We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to dive into a doctrinal issue. Now, I know we've talked about doctrine before, but I think it's important to actually spend some time defining the big ideas that really change everything. And I'm going to put them in a series called Everyday Truth, because that's what doctrine is. Doctrine is not a big, inaccessible academia. It's truth that helps us understand how to live every day. Today, the big idea, the everyday truth that I'm going to be focusing on this episode is the imago dei. It's a Latin phrase that means the image of God. Now this idea, this gets at the core of who we are. It's who we are anthropologically, sociologically, ontologically, eschatologically, all of that crazy stuff. But while I want to do the doctrine justice and fully explain what it is and what it means, Let's bring it down and not just talk about all those ologies. And to do that, I want to start with something that unites all of us. Stories. Ever since humanity came into existence, we have been telling stories about who we are, what we hope to be, our history, creating mythologies and characters. And the crazy thing is... A lot of these big stories, the stories that really matter to cultures and last and affect people, these big stories are all kind of similar. The greatest stories that we tell have generally the same themes. It's what people in the humanities call the hero's journey. And it goes like this. Once upon a time, there was an ordinary person. In an ordinary world, nothing strange ever happened to this person, but maybe they longed for adventure and knew that there was something more. One day, this adventure came knocking, and suddenly this person, this hero, is swept up into a new journey, into a new world with new friends to save the galaxy defeat evil, fulfill their destiny.
You can find that basic story in cultures across the world and throughout history. It defines mythologies and religious stories, and it even defines the big stories that we're telling today. Think about it. Marvel superheroes. Regular people who were made into something more. Harry Potter, the boy who lived under the stairs who was destined to destroy evil. Bilbo Baggins, who never wanted to leave his house but one day took a step outside of his door and was swept into a far land. And then there's the granddaddy of them all, Star Wars. George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, actually studied the hero's journey before he wrote Star Wars. After 40 years and over $30 billion in revenue, it remains one of the most beloved franchises across the world. But let's not just regulate this to the big stories. You see this hero's journey in the little stories too. The books, the Netflix series, the sad movies, all have versions of this journey with one caveat, that we are well aware that there are no perfect heroes. Our protagonists are flawed. Not everyone has happy endings. Tragedy exists. Love dies. As do we. But tragedy doesn't keep us from being story obsessed. We don't just watch TV, we binge it. I mean, there's not a single person in the world who when they log on Netflix only watches one episode. And this obsession is not just taking in stories, it's the stories that we tell. We craft narratives on social media. And it's not just that we want to have a story. We want to have the story. We want to know that our stories are worthwhile, valuable, maybe even worth envying. We don't want a simple, quiet tale. We want a saga, an epic journey. So why are we obsessed with these heroes' stories? Why are we jaded by them? Why are tragedies as important to us as comedies? Why do we long for adventure and want to know that our lives are not lived in vain? Because we're made in God's image. We carry the mark of the Imago Dei. This is what the Bible says about you and me. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God made man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. The word for image, tselem, and the word for likeness, demut, have this idea of an object similar to or representative of something else. It's like, think of a picture of a mountain. The picture shows what the mountain looks like, but no one would ever look at an actual piece of paper, a photograph, and say, that is a mountain. It's just representative of a mountain. It's an image. Being made in the image of God does not mean that you are a mini or co-God, but that you are a representative of God. And this image is built into humanity's DNA. It's intrinsic to all people, regardless of their gender, race, 
politics, social status, religion, or time in history. Even the person you despise most is made in the image of God. Humanity tried to use their free will to be co-gods or independent from God. They erred. They sinned. And that error changed everything. When sin entered the world, all of creation fell. And when creation fell, the image was broken. It was marred. It was clouded. The Bible tells the story of God leading and redeeming His people, ultimately leading to Christ who was fully God and fully man, meaning he is the most pure, the most excellent image of God. He's the one who said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says he is the exact representation of God. Jesus is fully man so he can show us how to live. And he's fully God so he is able to redeem us and is trustworthy. In Christ, humanity is redeemed, and now we are being remade into Christ's image, a goal in Philippians 1.6 that God promises to complete. In the New Testament Greek, Christians are called icons, the handiwork of God, His ambassadors, His walking, breathing images on earth. So you are created in the image of God, but living with a marred image until restored in Christ. And if you follow Christ, every day you are being made more like Him, so that you might tell others or represent who God is to the world. Now here's the crazy part. If you are saved, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are now called a son or a daughter of the living God. You are cosmic royalty. You are called into an eternal future of brilliance. You're given a purpose here on earth as an ambassador. In that sense, the hero's journey is true. That's why it matters so much. That's why we long for it, because it is the story that was lost in the garden when sin came into the world that Christ restores. That's yours. That's the Imago Dei in a nutshell. But so what? Why does that matter? Or does it matter at all? Well, if you're listening to this, obviously I'm going to say it does matter, and it changes everything in a few specific ways. First, the Imago Dei means that you are not the captain of your own ship. You are not your own. You have been specifically stamped with His mark. That means that you are made by God and meant to live for Him in the way that He made you. So every human work, every achievement should be pointed back to God. Nothing should be focused on ourselves or done in self-promotion. Everything we do should be Christ-centered and directed towards God's glory because we're His. We're made in His image. That means that we should seek to live rightly as God defines it, not how our situations and emotions dictate. As much as we debate it, sin and righteousness are not optional. 
They're not differences in opinion. Sin and righteousness are matters of identity. You either live in the reality of how God made you and created the world, or you rail against it. When God created everything, he gave the world an order that sin raked against. That means that sin, in a very real theological sense, is dehumanizing because it rejects the way that God made you to be. You were made by and for God, and your soul will be restless until you find your rest in Him. The Imago Dei also helps us understand the way that we should work. It helps us understand our jobs. God gave Adam and Eve work in the garden to keep, care for, and develop the earth. They were meant to maintain what God had made and encourage flourishing. Because of sin, our work is not merely maintenance, but rebuilding, redeeming. Your work in whatever vocation you have should be seen as a way to honor God and serve humanity. That gives a lot more purpose to work. Every vocation is a means to serve God and love others. And because God made a good work when he created everything, we should also do good work. Dorothy Sayers, in her essay, Why Work, writes, The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sunday. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Church, by all means, and decent forms of amusement, certainly, but what use is all that if in the very center of his life and occupation he is insulting God with bad carpentry? No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. Do good work. Make good creative, wonderful things. If you are a doctor, be a good one. Save lives. If you make lattes, make them well. If you clean floors, make them the most spotless floors in the world because you're doing it for God, not just for a paycheck, not just for someone else. Like Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. You're made in the image of God, and so like Him, work hard, do good work, and also rest. God rested on the seventh day. That seems crazy that the Creator of all things rested. Now the Bible does say that if we don't work, we're lazy. But it says, if we don't rest, we're disobedient. God loves you enough to know that you can't go 100 miles per hour all the time, that you need to stop and take a break. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. The last thing that the Imago Dei shows us is that we should change the way that we treat others. Everyone is made in God's image. That means that the people you pass on the street, the teller at your bank, the person who makes your coffee in the morning, they are the holiest objects 
present to your senses. In his essay, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis writes, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Every person is made in God's image and has an eternal soul. It should change the way that you see everyone. It really isn't surprising then that there are over 30 one another commands in the New Testament, things that we should do to and for one another. It shouldn't be surprising that Jesus demands radical forgiveness from us. How much has God forgiven you? He commands us to forgive to that extent. Christians should be freaks about conflict resolution, reconciliation, and unity. How is it possible to forgive your worst enemy? Because you know that you have more in common with them than you do with God. Yet He came to you and forgave you. It's easy to look at criminals, to people we disagree with, to the most despicable people that we can imagine, and name them as sinners. But when we do that, we're ascribing commonality between them and ourselves. God doesn't weigh our sins on a scale. You are a sinner, and if you're a Christian, you're a sinner who has been redeemed. And that hope is available to everyone. The Imago Dei reminds us that we matter, that you are loved, that you have a purpose, but you're not your own. I like saying Imago Dei. It sounds a little bit pretentious, but I say it because there's mystery and there's depth. There's a latent, vibrant, historical, yet still relevant truth. It's the truth that defines the shape of your life and makes specific demands on your future, both in the mundane actions and in the extraordinary. You were made in God's image so that in Christ, by the power of His Spirit, you might live like it. And to that end, brother, Sister, may the force be with you.
saved all the others but can't save yourself we don't need you jesus we're well and we're good and your name This has been a production of Fathom Magazine. To find out more, visit fathommag.com. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at Beyond Ordinary Women dot org